0: Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. Welcome back, everybody. Very excited for today's conversation. I was sitting here going, well, today's November. We're rolling into planning season, annual planning, whatever that means. Don't worry, we're going to unpack what that means and how to make sure you're doing it the right way. And I was trying to figure out the best way to approach this topic so it wasn't just me preaching about what the right way to do it was using your financials. I decided to tap the shoulder of a partner of ours, Steve Quello. He owns a peer group called CEO Nexus. He's got a couple hundred members in Minnesota and in Florida. Most of his uh, members are in Florida, which is why I'm trying to do more work with him so I can go down there as much as possible. And Steve's got a very unique educational first approach to his groups. And why I wanted Steve on the show to be talking to me and interviewing me, but also having a dialogue about what good planning looks like is because over the last decade or two, Steve has had the visibility of what a couple hundred entrepreneurs have been doing for planning, how well that's worked, how they continue to adapt and move towards their goals, He watched when traction and EOS hit the scene and how a lot of his members adopted that and how they've been using EOS as their annual planning. And what we're going to be talking about today is how to layer in the financials and budgeting and planning so that way you're focused on growing a valuable asset, that target equity valuation by focusing on normalized EBITDA and the multiple, but then how that can be rolled into a system like EOS with the functions of sales and marketing, ops, and finance. And what the process is to do that so that way ownership, leadership roles are separate and then you're rolling your goals into an EOS system so that we can have the right goals in that VTO and that you know how to fund those rocks and that you can still maintain those distributions and you're staying on track to hit your goals. So... I hope you enjoy the conversation with Steve Guadalupe. This episode is brought to you by Arcona's Fractional CFO Services. Arcona's Fractional CFOs integrate into your management team and assume the responsibility of the CFO. They become your strategic financial partner to help you run the business, create your value growth plan, and build the financial roadmap to the valuation you want to achieve. Good morning, Steve. Well, morning or afternoon. I guess it's afternoon now. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Good afternoon
0: to you. Yes. I, uh, I'm very excited for this conversation because you and I have known each other for six years plus now. Uh, our dear friend plus. Ryan Blendell introduced us and uh, we had a lot of common connections. And you know, as I was, uh, you know, I just got done with a two day boot camp that we do with uh, in person. You've been a part of com- some of those, a bunch of your members. And uh, which is hence my voice because I was I've been talking, I think, for three days straight. And this constant theme of, hey, it's the end of the year, we're planning, what's the goal, what's the point B? And I was like, you know what? Steve has been talking to business owners for almost 30 years now about this topic. And I wanted to get you on the show to talk about like, hey, what have people been doing so far up you know, in your experience? A lot of systems have come out over the years that you've seen come and go, some have stuck. And I wanna talk about you kind of representing the body of stage two entrepreneurs and your members. And then you and I can go back and forth about like, what does good planning look like? And what does that mean to have intentional growth? But one thing that really, um, really impressed me when I met you was your, the, the approach that you took to your members in your community, because there's education first. So maybe the, for the listeners, give a little bit of your background and how you actually got into the CEO peer group uh, business model.
1: Uh, definitely through the side door was not uh, ever envisioned as a end game, uh, which actually makes it more meaningful. I think um, I, I had came out of the corporate consulting world background in market research, and my I guess my first client at the time, which is now you know, twenty years ago, was a fellow named Edward Lowe, and Edward was the uh, inventor and founder of Kitty Litter and the cat box industry that we've come to take for granted. But basically he, the back, back story is he put dirt in the bag. He uh, had a roadshow giving it away at first on consignment and basically created a you know, multi-billion dollar industry that was later sold. And in his legacy years, I worked with him on some of the other businesses that he had spun up. Uh, and then the, the foundation that was uh, established in his name. And his heart was really for the, the journey of entrepreneurs and uh, the challenges they face. And uh, before he passed away, the, the the sweet spot that we looked at that he said he wanted us to focus on was beyond startup. And uh, before they became a fully functional professional operation, And it was this space that uh, we later defined as second stage, meaning you weren't, you know, you weren't, and you weren't a lifestyle business. You were a growth oriented business owner. And he said he felt most isolated or he felt the challenges increased, but the resources within the community Mm -hmm. and beyond diminished and you were, you know, on your own and, and you turned, you know, basically you, you came to rely on your peers, those that were in that One to 50 million range and that uh, 15 to 150 employees. That's the sweet spot. Now we have, you know, many clients that are larger and some that are smaller, but they're all growing and trying to solve the problems that come with that stage of development. And so that program that we developed in concert with what became the Edward Lowe Foundation evolved and, you know, became my business, my life's work and. of the servant leadership of if we can help that audience achieve their goals we're going to make a difference for the people that work for them for the communities they serve and uh, for the the free enterprise system that he he loved and wanted you know to sustain
0: i i absolutely love it and correct me if i'm wrong in any of these facts because it's been years since you told me the origin story but wasn't it that um he he tried to figure out what charities and nonprofits to put it into? And then he kind of figured out that the best leverage was through entrepreneurs, and then you guys because wasn't the whole setup was there kind of the economic development and gardening that's and I, and I don't want to conflate any yeah. any states, but there's this whole like education first, hours of research and development, and like a free peer group to get people to that next stage. Of that is that am I on it's, track there?
1: It's well, it, there are facts embedded in that that story but they're a little bit conflated is that we okay. we took that peer group emphasis and started to roll it out throughout Michigan Wisconsin and Midwest where you know he he grew up where his foundation was located and I happened to live in Florida at the time and and they said why aren't we doing the same thing in Florida? And so I said well let me let me look around and, and find out what's the best way to to evolve. And uh, concurrently, we had come across a program that was uh, or described as economic gardening, growing businesses locally, and then uh, giving them the resources they needed to scale. And they had a research-based, database based uh, model, and we had a peer group-based model, and we basically wedded the two into something, uh, a variation. And that's, I think, what you're describing. Got it. And our hub-and-spoke model was partner with institutions and then serve entrepreneurs through uh, economic development entities in uh, additional uh, markets. And uh, we were able to reach the largest number and scale fastest through that uh, public-private type of partnership. it. it. proved very successful in Florida, and then we in turn morphed and evolved into other markets. And I think Minnesota is where we overlapped at that time.
0: Yeah. And then right you you were the smarter man of the two of us because you stayed in Florida and you just commute here to see family once a month. <laughs> and I'm trying to inverse that. Um and, and Steve, one of the things that I, again I, I, I just I liked so much from the day one when when I met you is it was your approach was what are the best resources out there for these entrepreneurs? Which you know, from doing this now for almost 10 years, a lot of other advisors or, you know, resources, it's a lot of like how can they make money off of referrals and stuff like that? Then comes the member, where like you. Every time I've spoken to you, it's like I'm talking to a hundred to two hundred business owners at the same time because you're just always protecting and thinking about them. And so when I think about over the years, like maybe, maybe talk a little bit more about your model in the context, because then I think as we get into then, what does annual planning look like and what are people doing? You've come across a lot of systems and you know frameworks and stuff like that over the years, and you continue to refine yours, but maybe kind of give everybody your overall approach and how you guys, how you structure it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we start with sort of the themes that, that, uh, you know, uh, begin with a, a notion of servant leadership. If, if you're serving a client well things happen for them and then for you and and then if you have the long game in mind it just you know know, multiplies so we we started with ed's vision of growth oriented second stage businesses you know how do they differ and what do they need and how do we either add value directly or find partners that understand and can fill that need so I'm always in search of someone who gets that second stage mindset, who has the core values of the, the long term serving, because entrepreneurship is messy and and sometimes slower than we'd like. So if you're not in it with the, for the right reason, um, you'll either grow weary of of the second stage audience and move on, or you you won't serve them well.
0: And it gets harder, way faster. <laughs>
1: That's right. so so, so if you get that, if you get it, so to speak, then then it's just natural that you find other people that get it and and core values tend to drive that. So the values that drive us in fact, are the values we look for look for in others, which is long-term, you know servant leadership, you know educating or adding value before expecting. so relational versus transactional. So I mean mm-hmm. nothing nothing new. It's just that if you build it with the right, partners, if you build it with the right end in mind, you tend to get a more sustainable, valuable uh, uh, network, which is, I think, what we've we've built. So I, I mentioned along the way, we we were introduced to and embraced this whole notion of EOS or traction. And that tends to be a thematically a resource that we see as very uh, aligned with second stage. They're growing into a point where complexity and where Process and procedure become more important, and you know my client base, our network is a whole bunch of talented visionaries trying to solve things that are better attuned to their integrator, and trying to <laughs> strike the right balance and using a, a methodology or a framework like Traction helps. Well, the same thing when you're trying to grow the the resources around them, you know that's not just uh, Traction, but it's the the, the, the needs that they have, you want to have those core values driving your decisions. You want to, you know, reaching out. And, it, and inevitably, you know, annual planning becomes one of those rocks that you want mm-hmm. to do better at. And, you know, you learn early on that hope is not a strategy or a budgeting process. And sometimes we get habitually into, I'm going to take historics last year, add 5%. And, and and roll the dice.
0: <laughs> and, oh, divide by 12, right? <laughs> uh,
1: obviously, you know, uh, EOS wouldn't let you get away with that, but there's so many entrepreneurs at second stage are in the midst of our growing that. And so we pr- try to provide context or point them to people who don't who think differently. And whether mm-hmm. it's from their peers or uh, subject matter experts like you and the Arcona team, I mean, we're always trying to match and meet the need you know, we we have very few of the answers in terms of our leadership or our peer group. It's really through the managing the peer group process and connecting them with subject matter experts outside at the right time in the right way uh, that just in time learning is that makes the model work. And yep. and so, on the annual planning is like. Here we go again. Now let's just do it better this time. And so, you know, using traction as an example, the discipline of having a, a system of running the business, of running your annual planning makes a world of difference. And that's what, you know, we see. And so, you know, what are the elements of that? You know, ability, you know, that's that system uh, and, and any, you know, I think, well-run annual planning means you step out of the office, you, you step out of your business to work on the business, right? And so you go to a third part or third place. And having an outside implementer, again, it's not required, but it makes a world of difference because it brings the objectivity into the discussion, and it's a way to hold uh, CEOs and leadership teams accountable. Because sometimes, you know, you've got passive aggressive. You know, we're all human, and so, <laughs> is
0: that the, the lingering over of Minnesota culture over yeah.
1: there? <laughs> it's, 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 it, 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 it's not just Minnesota, but yeah. That, so, so having the tough, uh, authentic conversations typically happens when you have someone who's, you know, holding one another accountable and a third party, you know, can make a difference.
0: So um, super helpful uh, launching pad for this discussion. And before we're getting into some of what I believe that like good budgeting and planning Tied to the right goals and how EOS the functional areas and the VTO all that in nicely with some of the stuff that we've been talking about together about treating your company as an asset. But before we get yeah. to some of that stuff, Steve, I think it. I mean, this by my own personal curiosity because of like I watch what how you and and myself over the over the years too. We're like when you with how many entrepreneurs you work with, you kind of get these universal themes, and I, I I have found over the years that. That was a byproduct of something that I enjoy that I didn't expect of like, Hey, it's like seeing above all of the like, what's, what are the common problems and the common themes? So like, I go back to like, maybe you can give us a little insight. of Like when EOS started coming around, because I I had our family business when that came around and we just got imp- introduced to it right before we sold. So we'd never really with the big, you know, the big infrastructure that we had, we didn't have the ability to actually roll it all out. But I'm curious from someone like you sitting in all these peer groups, how did like the conversation start and like, hey, this is something and like, what was it providing for the owners that didn't have it? And then they were, they were like, what was it solving for them? Because then I, I want to tee that up before we talk about potential gaps that it might have.
1: I and mean, are you specifically referencing?
0: Um, yeah, US. Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: Right. So. So, you know, we ran our program for years before we were introduced to EOS. That was probably 12 years ago that we were introduced to EOS. And it it, it sort of crystallized a, a need that was being met, which is as you grow into second stage, sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes people just grow until they hit their head at a point where their sheer will and their experience can't solve the next problem. That's the value of a peer group because you got the 10 X power of peers that can solve most problems. But inevitably, there's still things they can. And then we bring in speakers and resources. But but the beauty of a framework of traction. And again, there are others. I don't mean to say this is a traction.
0: Uh, could be Scaling up OKRs and, and, and like any system that you're bringing exactly. to help. People,
1: right. But traction did such a brilliant job of distilling it down into a, a digestible uh, method of applying it to a second stage business. Now they don't use that terminology, but the notion is when you're beyond startup, but not yet, you know, this fully professional operation, you, you need to solve process and systems uh, probably sooner than you think uh, before the problems become bigger than, than they need to be. And there's just a beauty to how traction gives yes. you that, that, that consistency and and, and this is what I've come to see after all these years, is that it's a great platform to bolt on other expertise that solves specifics within whether it's finance or marketing or sales um, or, or or culture. There are certain tools that bolt on beautifully. I mean, they, they, they work better when they bolt onto a framework mm-hmm. that's already in place. And mm-hmm. so we saw it and we we applied it. Our members just gobbled it up. they did they 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 saw themselves in the stories and all of the got it and, all of the, and they said i need this and now then the hard part is how do you do it because it's not like one and done read it and done you've got to <laughs> you got to make tough decisions you've got to make compromises you some people don't survive the the accountability chart and all the things that go with uh, transparency and accountability so it puts pressure on a business mm-hmm. The the benefit and why I think it's worked for us is that the the peer group is a place to address and relieve some of that pressure. And so when a CEO Uh. is wrestling with a tough decision that may or may not have emerged through EOS, the notion is they've got trusted peers, objective feedback to either confirm or to redirect their decision making in a, you know, we always say, Better decisions faster and with greater confidence. That you're, I love you're it. All the same decisions, but you because of us, because of the peer group, because of the the wedding of sort of the the trust that happens in that environment. We just make better decisions faster with greater confidence. I see it all the time, and so we may not give the answer, we may not even agree with it, but they get to that end, and then they become a better, a better business owner, and then a better business because they pass that in, you know, throughout.
0: Yep. Organization. Oh, I love it. Um, I really like those three things. That's because I, I, I mean, better decisions faster with more confidence. And I think about that; it resonates with me because that that sounds like less anxiety, <laughs> just <laughs> and like just less stress in general. Like instead of like yeah. placing a huge bet on whatever you're gonna yeah. do and just hoping it works out.
1: <laughs> well, I can say because I I I work alongside peer groups and CEOs. Not, not over weeks or months, but it's years. Many of our members join and they renew and renew and renew because it's that safe harbor in their business and, and in their life where they can talk about the tough things and where they can solve the tough things. But the, the, the notion is they, they, I've seen them confront issues, solve them, save their business, transform their business. Um, and in doing so, they find peace. Meaning, if you build the systems that other people can run, if you make decisions better, faster, with greater confidence, you, you're not carrying around the same weight that you were before. You were in mm-hmm. the running a system um and seeing your business with clarity. I mean, the whole yep. transparency and bringing data in—you know—it's yep. also simple, but it's it's hard for a visionary to do when they're running. And their hair's on fire.
0: Yep, yep. Oh my gosh, so true. Um, so, the, I think the next logical step of what what to chat about is like the goals. And so, I think again over the the decades, like what? Because I want to talk about better decisions, faster. Oh, con- you you're
1: you're, you're you're a little too aggressive with the decades thing. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, when when did you say that
1: long? But I know it's been long.
0: I I won't say I won't say a few decades. I'll say a couple.
1: I have have, have context based on Mm -hmm. uh, enough time. How's that?
0: Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. So, but but I think it's important to highlight just like you had said, over years, you're with the same people because like you had said the big thing that I think is the most important takeaway of that, all, all joking aside is that. You can see someone understand and articulate what they want, try things, see how those worked and then overcome them and keep going. And I, because you've you've been yeah. with them through a journey as they've been working towards something. And so like, you know, with the second stage entrepreneurs, I mean, you have very genuine, wonderful people that are in your in your community. And I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to meet and know lots of them. What do you think that your members and, the, you know, by uh, uh, by um, association, just second stage entrepreneurs in general, what do you think that they're searching for and in their goals? What do you think a lot of them are trying to accomplish? And I mean, there's probably variations, but I don't know if you can. You got kind of like a short list.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um... I would say that as they grow in that confidence part of the equation where they see their business differently, they're, they're running their business versus the business running them. And this is a function of the peer group plus EOS or some system plus enough time to, to, to overcome the problems that are are inevitable and to know that the next problem can be surmounted. You know, so so it takes away some of that unknown and that fear. So with that time and then the force multiplier of. Seeing someone else go through something mm-hmm. and learning from that without having to do it helps you both have confidence that you can do it when you face something, but also you can avoid what they just confronted because you've done it third party, right? Mm-hmm. Thats the power of the peer group. so so, and from a annual planning standpoint, i I think and and the traction application, I think they see their business and they they are our ability, their ability to see what's possible expands meaning they they know kind of how the company can flex because mm-hmm. they got a, pro, a framework that it operates in they've seen how data can inform their decisions and they i think are oftentimes more inclined to take reasonable risks that in the past they might have been ca- too cautious about so mm-hmm. their, their their role as a leader expands through the combined confidence and the context of their peers
0: it's almost like they're uh I had this one, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Dan Martell. He said, uh, one of the interviews I had, he said, your vision as a, as a leader and entrepreneur has to be big enough for the company and all the people fit inside of it. And I was like, that's such a cool way of describing that. So like, and, and, and I know, uh, you've been through our material a lot, a lot because of the partnership that CEO, Nexus and Arcona has. And, and I think about, um, what is it that do you think that people are striving for? Because the vision, when I think about principle number one, so many times we go to like the Simon Sinek of the Y circle, which is like, Hey, it's a computer that's trying to solve, you know, but like as business owners that are of second stage, you're like your livelihood, your identity, your financials are all sucked up into this machine. So it's not just like my product needs to be better for the consumer. So like the people that you're, talking about, what What do you think they're trying to solve in their life with their business? Like, you know, kind of the multidimensional, what, did, what do you think the vision is that they're trying to solve? Or, and, and again, that could be probably, there's probably variations of it.
1: Yeah. Well, i would tell you, if there's a historical kind of catchphrase, if you ask an owner before they've kind of been drunk the Kool-Aid and and, you know, understand EOS, understand the complexity and the potential of the business uh the, the, if you ask them so so you know what what's the end game for your business and they'll say oh five to ten years i'll do this this and this <laughs> or i'll I'll be ready to sell and then you ask them the same question in three years it's five to ten there's always this this uh uh horizon a shifting horizon and I think when you bring in the the, the accountability of the peer group the accountability of some like traction it becomes more precise and it becomes mm. tied to some Outcome and so all of the pain and struggle that any owner goes through becomes um, clarified as to what they can get out of it, both personal and professional. And that's what we always do. We, we, our theme, as you you maybe have seen, is is this this, um, uh, overarching uh, uh, term: your ownership journey. I mean, it's your business; it's your journey. And we're gonna try to catch up to you. We're gonna try to add value as you see it, as you need it, and we're gonna try to bring in new ideas that maybe you haven't thought of. And this is where I think our relationship with Arcona is so powerful, is that you have real clarity on how to get from where you are to where you wanna be
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: be accountable in doing it Mm -hmm. on the ownership side, not just on the leadership side. And so oftentimes our clients come in focusing on leadership issues, just the, the fundamentals of running a business and not thinking about. The ownership or the value creation side, which is their, you know, in the end, their, their game. And the why should you feel like you're in a hurry to solve something when you don't have enough time to do it because you started too late? We want to get them to start earlier.
0: I love it, and uh, I, I want to give you, I want to give you a solid shout out and credit for uh, making me change the management versus ownership roles to leadership versus ownership roles. <laughs> you're like, hey, that word leadership is a lot better than management, and it took me one second. to Go, yep, you're right. <laughs> like, and in in because, you know, we've got these two roles and a lot of your members do. If you were to ask them, Steve, you know, because the end goal makes sense. And I, and I like how you frame that up. And we're going to get into the meat of like how, you know, what does that actually look like? What is that precision? That's kind of how I think we want to land this plan in this conversation. But if you were to ask most of your members right now, why are you doing it? Yeah. How do you think, how how would they answer that?
1: It, you know, it varies. And some have real clarity because they've, they either, they're a serial entrepreneur and they, they you know done this dance before or they've been around the right people and they understand the context and where to go. But sadly, you know, not everyone does or can. And, and until challenged, you know, who who in the business is challenging them about that? You know, that's right. not coming from below. And unless you're in a peer group or you have investors or advisors that you, you know, are in fact mentors, it, it's kind of one of those questions that's yeah, I'll get to it later, but it never gets defined. And the, the the beauty of peers is that you know they'll they'll let you get away with that for a while, but pretty soon you know what are
0: you trying You've to have been complaining about this for a long time, yeah, Steve. What are you trying to solve for?
1: <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah, so, so you know, long way around to your question, I don't know that that there's universal appreciation or clarity as to what they're in it for, other than so many are are trying to get away from, meaning you know, they, they realize they were unemployable very at a very young age, and they've they've made you know success out of that. In spite of that, or they they do want some autonomy, and you know entrepreneurship ownership gives you that. But they don't they didn't at the time know what went with it, and so then they're in
0: this <laughs> yeah, autonomy. I can do whatever I want. Hypothetically, as as you're trying to meet payroll and get your suppliers in line,
1: <laughs> right, right, right. So so I I wish there was more clarity. You know, and I could say universally everyone knows it and they're heading toward that goal and they're going to ring the bell, but, um, surprisingly not as many as you might think. And mm. again, that's our small sample, our little world and our second stage slice. mean Everything has to be, uh, uh, the caveat has to be, you know, we, we focus on growth oriented second stage businesses mm. and any, any, you know, extrapolation beyond that, you know, I, I couldn't say
0: yeah. And I think that's, we share a huge percentage overlap with the Venn diagram of our clients and the listeners on this show and then your members. And I think this is an unbelievable context for like every year people sit down and they go, we're going to go off site for two days. And I swear to God, I bet you half the people just want to go take a nap somewhere for two days <laughs> just to get away to work on the business. But like, you know, what do you think? Like, you know, before we, cause I know you, you've got some questions for me about like what, you know, what goes into like making sure that all of the, the EOS, the VTO, the plans are all tied together the right way. But like, what do you think, I, I mean, what do you, what are your thoughts about the VTO and the these, the and then this is not like you said, specific to traction or EOS, but like, what, what are, what are your thoughts about goals that owners set? That are like that you've seen over the years, like whether it's revenue based. Because it's so yeah. many times, it's revenue based, and what that does wow. based on I'll give, their actions. I'll give you an
1: example from a, a recent group without naming names. If the owner doesn't engage the team, first of all, do they have the right seats on the bus? Right people on the bus, right? So, so let's let's assume they that they do. Okay. Uh, if I I I hear enough examples, and there was one just last uh, week where the owner realize they didn't engage the people they they were more setting the peg and then challenging them and that's almost a formula for failure now you can bully people for a certain amount of time but if they if they're not aligned and they're not bought in and if they're not pulling the same direction you know stretch goals are tough you know, and mm-hmm. compensation only gets you so far so so i would say you yeah, make getting that team right i mean our our, our sort of learning focuses over the years is concentrated on self-awareness for the CEO, alignment for the leadership team, and then engage culture. And we try to focus on if you get better self-awareness for the CEO, they will make better decisions. And and part of that comes from being in a peer group, but part of it is just literally, you know, emotional intelligence. So many times they'll say is, you know, the the big successful uh, Fortune 500 leaders will inevitably write in their memoirs Emotional intelligence is more intelligent and more important than IQ and how to develop, or, you know, and it can be developed. It's not static. And And our second stage CEOs, same thing. Then getting the team aligned. And if, you, if you're not, and to have them aligned, you got to be working together. And if you try to do annual planning and you haven't adequately invited them in, created you know, shared goals, and then assigned and, and created accountability, next year, you're, Got the same place, trying it again. And
0: the the
1: CEO's role going into that environment is really important. And what I see, just like with traction, is if you don't have an outside voice in 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 traction world and implementer, you don't get the same value out of the traction process, just like you wouldn't get it out of annual planning. Now you don't have to have the implementer at at any point in time in annual planning, but someone in that role, right, I think. Um, essential because there's a lot of dynamics and the implementer is looking objectively at all the faces and all the body language and the CEO is carrying lots of biases and lots of assumptions mm-hmm. and that that extra set of eyes makes a world of difference. And so I hear feedback because yeah. I'm not in yeah. all these meetings of course but they'll talk about you know, how incredibly valuable that outside of uh, strategic planning uh, guy was. Yeah. The they don't. They think they're that role in the beginning, and then they realize that there's value in adding to the team.
0: Well, right, because also, like you said, I mean, I, I uh, interviewed this one guy, Charlie, and uh, his uh, advisor, Billy, and Charlie said it was a very well done servant leadership example. And he's like, the moment I talk, the mo, the moment the meeting's over, and yeah. I was like, it's a really interesting way of putting it. And so I'm going to now try and articulate where I see the gap. In what people have been doing, because I like the scenario that you just laid out, I've been a part of that in my own companies prior to what I'm doing right now, which is we're all sitting down and it's like, it's like almost like the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's getting holiday season. So I'm thinking about like, you know, I sit down with my kids like, what do you want? Back, back when there were magazines, you know, you'd circle the stuff that you wanted in the magazines. And that's kind of what I think about this annual planning is like, we say, okay, what's our BHAG? ten five three one you know, quarters. And we go, okay wrote the magazines everybody circles what they want you know the, the marketing people want you know new you know they want the HubSpot. the operations person wants the new erp system hr wants new payroll and you know, I, so then i go okay and then revenue is the goal and then there's this timeline and the the, the challenge that i have like my brain just broke and now i can't see it's like this is the matrix i can't not see it anymore where it's like if you think about it if i want to come from minnesota to florida and i will never forget because anybody that's listening listening right now that has seen the keynote the reason that that google maps from point a to point b is from minnesota to florida is because of steve goes, <laughs> you should have him come to florida like yeah that's really where i where i want to go so like if i want to go to florida i have to have a timeline and that's my goal right and then like then all of the resources and the constraints of those resources become apparent And what I have seen now is like, you have the funk. So it's like, great. Like, let's say someone's running EOS perfectly. They've got the, you know, sales and marketing function. They got the ops function. And then they got the finance function. They got the visionary up top. And then it's this hypothetical circle, what you want. And then we have a revenue target. And I'm like, but that doesn't, that's not the ultimate goal. That's going to align all of the projects and how much they cost and whether it grows value. And so I see this massive gap. It's like, what are are people doing? Like, what if it's not worth it? And you said like, better decisions, faster, more confidence. But what if the goal's wrong? And and like, so how have you seen, like, you know, and I'm I'm not saying that this is a, you know, apparent in every single uh, business owner out there, but like, when that goal is wrong, like how have you seen that manifest in groups where like people are running and they haven't allocated resources or they don't have a valuation target and it's revenue. How does that show up in people's conversations throughout the year?
1: Uh, I'll give you an example from one of the members in one of our Florida groups that will be, uh, uh remain unnamed that, <laughs> that, the that the, 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 they didn't have the, the, the three statements aligned, which I know you're going to talk about shortly. And so they took advantage of certain opportunities regarding inventory. You know, the supply chain has been brutal for the longest time. They had some opportunities, but because they weren't synced up in the financial statements, they created a huge cash crunch Uh. three months later. That could have been seen and could have been, you know, avoided, and they had to navigate it real time and and through the peer group and through their team, the whole thing. But it was it it was the old box canyon example is in the old uh, uh, Western movies when the bad guy or the yeah the bad guys turned right into a canyon and and the good guys behind them knew it was a box canyon. They just stopped and put up uh, made some coffee because they knew that those guys are going to go three miles down and hit a wall that they couldn't escape and they were trapped. So the idea is they made a decision three months earlier or regarding supply chain and inventory, they created a box canyon for their finances and they were blind to it, which is why I love mm-hmm. what you guys do and how you sync up the three statements and how you help people make insightful decisions, but in effect, treating their business like an asset. So I don't mm-hmm. know if this is a great segue for you, but I, I, yeah, I it is. see that happen. And it comes back to us when they're in the Box Canyon, right? You know, mm-hmm. if we had been talking about it, been more had more uh, transparency into the finances, like you guys suggest, we would maybe have, instead of turning right, we'd have kept going straight, right? Mm-hmm. and Avoided the the problem. In in full disclosure, for the limited audience that overlaps with our network, you know, we we've struck a, a strategic alliance where the wealth of the arcona content is now available to ceo nexus members through our member resource center at no charge and they basically can on a self-directed basis or with your assistance navigate that content which i think is brilliant to better understand their business as a financial asset and make these kind of decisions but you have to you have to invest you know the time and energy to do it and what we're going to do in our our webinar series is pull pieces of that out and make it available in hopes that people in learning and seeing their business differently will in fact go in and consume that content. Or if you're not a member, you go directly, you know, to Ryan and you've got different platforms by which you can disseminate that. Your boot camps are great. We've had many mm-hmm. do that. So so a little throw you a bone in terms of your <laughs> your programs because our, our members found them very valuable but but so so uh, I guess if you could talk about how the 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 syncing up the three statements um, makes a difference and then how you could start to do that in an annual planning session knowing mm-hmm. that that's a, a work in progress and you know you're gonna have to mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to build that cash flow statement. A lot of people don't have that. And that's been an observation. As you've embraced some of our clients, you're surprised, as are we, that maybe the the financial um, horsepower in those organizations wasn't what you thought and they need to do some
0: I think it all starts with how you actually started the, the conversation, Steve, which is most second stage entrepreneurs found out that they, they were unemployable or they wanted autonomy. And usually that's not because they had the letter CPA at the back of their name. And so well, I think we just teed up the, the the reason that that's the case.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, the human, no human can know it all. And so whatever got you into that business, is an important part of what helped you succeed, but it surely isn't everything. And and therefore <laughs> you gotta backstop. And oftentimes finance is one of those areas where you yeah, can and up your game.
0: So I want, I want I want to do it two ways, uh, of kind of teeing this up and then I want you to keep asking questions. Um, one is that like, because you know, we just got done with a boot camp and it the we out of 31 people that were in the boot camp seed this time. I mean, we went around the biggest takeaway and it's like, what's the, shifting the goal? Is what people kept saying away from revenue to target equity valuation and like and I think about because if I wanted to go to Florida and just Florida was my goal, like you know how big Florida is, right? You got six hours between yourself and a couple of the groups, right? I mean that gets a huge deal. You go into a motel, you stay in with someone and they on their couch. You go into a luxury hotel. I mean, it's this multi-dimensional nature and revenue in my mind is so myopic that it just it it's it, it it doesn't allow us to unpack how do we like how do we get there and how do we see like with precision like you said so the target equity valuation is super important cuz you have the the number the multiple which is the annual cash flow times then the multiple so you got i'm sorry bleh, you got the uh, you got the normalized EBITDA which is the annual cash flow times the multiple which is the number of years of cash flow that someone's going to give and then you have the debt that's in the business, those three things are going to make up that target equity valuation. And that is an asset. Like we all want an asset to grow in value. So like, I mean, I always uh, give the example of my, my father and I, we had a $21 million business that lost almost a million bucks in 09. If we would have sold the business in 09, we'd have owed the bank a couple million bucks. So we could have gotten to Florida and owed the bank money. (laughs) It sounds like a journey that's not worth it other than it might be warm. Um, but so that, that that goal, I'm just so adamant that it can't just be revenue tied to the BHAG, the five and the ten and the one, and the, it just has to be that target equity valuation. And I and I've I've seen in from the 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 keynotes I've been doing with Vistage and all the associations this year that most people don't know what their company's worth and what creates value. I mean, what is your experience from with your members of just an understanding of that goal and valuations in general?
1: Well, I think there are parallels. So I, I, I mean, it's not universal, but absolutely, you know, more people need to understand that linkage to their end game. And I, and I would qualify it further is that, and this is having the insight of having worked with you and and how you address these things is that, you know, what does that beyond numbers, what does it look like in terms of how you're going to treat your employees? I mean, the whole notion of ESOP, not ESOP. I've got a whole different business model potentially and different investment strategy if I'm on an ESOP path or if I'm on the other. And if you don't know the difference and you're not clear on what you want and you're making decisions that are sort of covering your bets... You're leaving money on the table, and you're you're not maximizing you know the value for you or for your family or for uh, your employees or you know however that's structured,
0: or you're changing the experience that you wanted. You have you made a bet and you wanted one experience and you got yeah. a different one.
1: So that I, that's what I like about your process is that you get people to think about where they're going and then work backward and make decisions tying them to the financials, so you know that a financial decision for a piece of equipment or a uh, high high uh, cost talent is getting you to the goal that will be
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know multiplied you know mm-hmm. the whole idea
0: and that's a per per uh, very helpful and so then when i think about your question about the eos so let's say someone's rolling into an eos planning meeting in the next month or so or honestly whenever and they're yeah. thinking about the next 12 months what i see that Good budgeting consists of if someone wanted to like really uh, lean into that EOS process or their annual planning process is taking the the three functions, Steve, of the sales and marketing ops and finance and treating and, and, and starting the budgeting process with those three functions. And it's really the income statement. Because and I want to unpack that in a sec, but I want to finish this whole thought. But if we look at the income saving, that's what everybody's familiar with and everybody's comfortable with. The income saving, the P&L, revenue, cost of goods, and then OPEX, overhead, sg whatever people want to call it. But the balance sheet then is, oh, oh those, that's for the bankers. And then, and then the cash flow statement, from my experience now over the last five years, I mean, it's single digits to people that actually look at that stuff. And in, in 21, Steve, I interviewed like almost 100 CFOs, all making between two and 400 grand, working for private equity, and big companies, and like 10 forecasted out the three statements. And I'm like, that's so crazy. So, I'll, like, when I think about just the income statement, Well, I'm going to tie tie these three together, and then we'll talk about how the process should work. But, you know, you have your income statement, you sell something, and then it goes, a lot of times you have receivables, and that receivable goes on your balance sheet. And if you don't have receivables, let's say you get a customer deposit, it's a liability because you owe someone something at some point. And then with your cost of goods, you're buying things. So that usually is a payable that goes on as your balance sheet as a liability, or you have accrued payroll. So there's this interplay between like the income statement and the balance sheet. I think most people are very comfortable with, but then they're only looking at the balance sheet of like, how much can I get on my line of credit? What will the bank loan me? So that way, just in case when, you know, should hits the fan, I'll be able to like, at least tap the, tap the line of credit, but they're not using that as any analytics or forecasting. It's just, you know, leverage and lo- and and Borrowing capacity versus the income statement is the forecast, and the questions that you, the, what you alluded to, which is, should I buy inventory or not? Can I take my distributions? Yep. Should I buy that company? Can well, I hire you?
1: The- here we are in Q four, and these are common themes that are coming up in all the roundtable discussions. And we should have been having these discussions six months ago and tying them to financials. And so, I, I think your earlier point that financial literacy. It, it, there's room for growth for, for both CEOs.
0: <laughs> well <laughs> and, well said. That was gracious, gracious of you. <laughs> and,
1: and it's not a rub. It's just that you know the visionary temperament and and the obligations and all. It, it, they, it, it's hard to 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 execute on both of those, and, and something gets missed. Whereas having a, 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 either a fully functioning CFO, having a fractional CFO, or having the knowledge that you can tap into, like you know, your organization where you can make more informed decisions makes a world of difference because waiting too long, missing opportunities, that's way more common than
0: you would think. and, And you don't want, you don't want to have false confidence. Like you want real confidence, like you had said. And, and before, before I continue, just for the listeners in, um, what I'm about to go into, if people conceptually understand this, I think people can go back and then actually still just focus on the income statement and the forecasting, and let the finance and the either finance or math and a dashboard or something like that glue all the pieces together. I'm not suggesting that we have to, you know, create financial engineers that are reading cash flow statements all day long. But if I like, so I own Arcona, you own CEO Nexus, and I know from my ownership position right now. I want to know that Arcona is growing in equity value. I want to have visibility into my distributions and my salary and visibility into my taxes. And then I got enough working capital in there to fund the growth while hitting my distributions and my taxes. Otherwise, I'm going to go get a job at 3M and get a $10,000 pension per month instead of doing this. Like, Why else do this? And all I want to know is if I hire Steve, the CEO for my company, and he's 250 grand in the middle of the year, can I keep my distributions, my taxes, yeah. and my working capital? It's really that simple, right?
1: Yeah. Well, well. so the couple of couple thoughts is, is that, um, I, shameless plug, I, those of our clients that have been through the camp and or have retained an Arcona resource of some kind, have all elevated their game in terms of financial literacy, you know, and lowered the anxiety because they can see into the business and they can see into the future in mm-hmm. ways that they couldn't before. So I, I, I say I, I can't share any of it, but I can tell you, absolutely demonstrated you know difference in terms of helping. But let me add, add one variable to all this and then get your feedback. There's a range of of engagement uh, from open book policy, where those kind of Insights and decisions are happening in an annual plan, and close to the vest, that's for me to know and and you to never know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we have both and everything in between. I say just based on what you're talking about, at the risk of scaring the non-open book policy people and or getting comfortable with how you how you communicate that in an annual plan. What what works in yeah. your experience?
0: I, I will I will break it down so that way. Whatever someone wants to do, they can do it, but it's still pegged to the target equity valuation. That's the most important part. Like the person listening in, that's the owner. So I'll break this down. Um, the ownership group has to determine a target equity valuation at a point in time that they want. So like, let's just play this role, role play game. Steve, you and I are 50 50 partners. Okay. We need to come up with a target equity valuation at a point in time. To say, Steve, what's, what's going to be worth it for you, man? Like, seriously, like, uh, is it going to be a million dollars in two years or is it 10? Cause that's going to impact our growth rate, how we're going to fund it in the distribution. So, and this is where you and I are different ages. Like we would have to consider our age. We don't have to share networks with each other, but people listening in a lot of times they have an investor group, different partners, different ages. Yep. You could be the same age. Someone's worth a hundred million dollars and someone's broke. I mean, like it we're people. But the thing is, the shared thing is we have a, an entity that we that we need to get from point A to point B, and that, that point B needs to be a target equity valuation. And if we think about what valuations uh, are, are consistent of, the normalized EBITDA, so that annual cash flow times a multiple, which is the number of years of cash flow, and then debt. So we want to be focusing on increasing cash flow, de-risking cash flow, and paying down debt to, incre- to get to that target equity valuation. But Once that goal is determined, then we have to say, okay, well, what distributions do we both want? Because if we both need a half million dollars and there's after taxes, there's only $4 left, the CEO that's running our company is not going to be able to invest much. This is a big, big miss. I see tons of companies do. The owners go, we want to go from 5 million to 10 million. And then they suck all the cash out and the president's sitting there with nothing to fund the company. And so, and then they can't pay their taxes. And like, and so like, it's, that's, I see so much conflict happen right around that topic.
1: Well, I'll give you one example from a you know a group in Orlando and the CEO has a partner and different ages, just like you said, and the power of this kind of insight. And I, I don't know if they're an actual client of yours, but they, they understand the things the, these issues better than most. And what it leads to is healthy conversations so that those partners can understand the points of view, and then they can have a conversation such that they can come to some compromise. So Mm -hmm. the retirement or the exit for one player is definitely sooner than the other, but because they understand the financials more clearly than a lot of companies, they've reached a, a compromise that both can live with. Right. and And the beauty is the business is stronger because their financial literacy is is higher, and the health of the relationship is protected versus hitting some wall two years out when one person can't go on in their mind and the other person has a ten year your, you know, runway. Yeah. And, and then, then we got a painful, you know, um, you know, go through the ownership agreement and figure out the, and it's not on our terms. It's on, it's circumstantially driven because they just didn't have the clarity of communication.
0: Right. And and, and, and think about if they, and think about if they didn't do that. So they're going to sit in an annual planning meeting, talk about some arbitrary revenue goal and talk about some arbitrary rocks that are randomly costing random amounts of money. And then they go back and they get in their car, they talk to their spouses over the holidays, and then they get back on January 1st and they go, you know what, I actually don't want to do this. And then so, because there's no, what does it mean to me as an owner? So like ownership, not the leadership team, own and operations and leadership is different. So going back to like, let's say it's you and I, we say, okay. Steve and Ryan, we want a million dollar normalized EBITDA to five times multiple. So a five million dollar valuation in three years. Okay, well, let's say we're doing a million dollars right now. Um, So we want to go from a million to two million. Five, you know, just bear with me, listeners here. So we got a million dollars right now. And this is important because if Steve and I want to go from a million dollars to two million, we're gonna have to fund that. So what we have to do is if if Steve and I, like, let's say Steve, you and I each need, let's say we each each need a hundred grand. We're in Minnesota. We pay 300 grand in taxes on a million bucks. You you and I each get a hundred grand. There's only a half a million dollars left over. So like, that's all money we have for the plan this year, right? Instead of making it up. But think if you and I didn't determine that we both needed a hundred grand. Yep. It's like you just show up one quarter after the boat show and you're like, I want a hundred grand. Well, like, says who and how does that impact the plan that ERP system that Sally's about to install is about a hundred grand. And like, so like we have ownership has to say, what is the, what is the valuation target? So from 1 million to 2 million, a five X to a six X and the timeline will then dictate, can Steve and I pull the money out or not?
1: Yeah. And, and, and build it from the ground up. Well, so, so example, and this is a, 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 a throwing a credit to, to EOS It's on that theme. A lot of people get stuck on self-implementation because they think, well, my business, I understand the issues. I can lead meetings. I And they, 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 um bristle at hiring an, an implementer because it's, it's, it's not cheap and it, it, puts accountability on a visionary shoulders that they maybe don't want. you know, there, there, are lots of reasons to not hire an implementer, but there's so many examples of it being transformational for the business, because, you know, the best implementation of EOS in my experience is when an outside implementer is matched well stylistically and they, uh, you know, you know, they, they execute on the, the potential of the framework. Um but them getting over the money hurdle cuz it's multiple sessions sometimes multiple years but then when you understand normalized EBITDA and, and you can go back and say well that was that was a one time deal and I, you know, I i'm not it's not money lost it's money invested And so maybe talk about that how yeah. different different uh, in the normalizing the EBITDA, when you understand the numbers it helps give you the confidence you know better mm-hmm. decisions faster with greater confidence the the whole notion is the, the the barriers, whether it's equipment or uh, an implementer, it's easier because you
0: see the whole list. Oh, it fits. What does it mean yeah. to the goal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex- explain
1: how that would work. I, I, not so, just the implementer. Yeah, yeah,
0: I'm, tra- I'm, I'm tracking you, Steve. And, and um, maybe kind of a comment. It looked, again, Steve and I are talking about EOS listeners here, but it could be scaling out. It could be your own system for two days. It could be OKRs. It doesn't matter. But what I see works really well, Steve, is that, the, like, let's say again, you and I are partners. We talk, like, what do we need n- numbers wise from an asset perspective first before we don't have to have our operations and our leadership team in the, the discussion of how much money does Steven Ryan want to pull out of this? It's it, it. like, like private equity or family offices. They talk about what is this thing worth and how much money can we suck out of this? And then they hire people to do the work for them. I mean, like, that's what we're talking about here. So, and we will get to the open book management uh, question too. I don't want to forget that. But so let's say you and I walk it, like we walk in because we also have leadership hats on because you and I both don't have to go to those lead, those strategy meetings if one of us is just an owner. So, yeah. So maybe let's take this example where you and I, I'm the investor. You're actually the CEO. So you and I sit down. I'm like, I we both determine we want a hundred grand in distributions each year. We got two uh, three hundred grand in taxes. So there's a half a million dollars left for cash flow to invest in the company over the next twelve months. So then Steve goes into the meeting again. Operations. I don't get a paycheck because I'm just an owner. I just get distribution. Steve has a job, so he also gets a paycheck. You go in. You hire an EOS implementer and. When we're talking about the goal being the target normalized EBITDA, and then there's a multiple in of three, four years that normalized EBITDA, it's not net income because all net income doesn't tell me anything. Your boats are in there, your cars are in there, you know, the EOS implementers in there, the ERP system that you installed one time is in there. So, and again. Revenue doesn't account for all that. So that we got revenue. Let's think revenue is important. Maybe if you want to share that with the whole team and we can wrap up with that, see like, what do you want to share with the the rest of the rank and file? But at the end of the day, if we say, okay, we want to target normalized EBIT of $2 million, we've got half a million dollars this year that we can invest. Well, you and I both already determined that we can make our distributions You know, if we hit our goal. Well, now let's say that, let's start with sales and marketing sales and marketing like hey we wanna maybe there's a sales consultant that's going to teach people about messaging and cold calling it's 30 grand It's a use of cash but hopefully it makes your team better and it should de-risk your future cash flow so you're getting a bump in your multiple over time hopefully it's a use back to steve's question it's a use of cash so You're using some cash, and hopefully, your whole company can still get funded and grow with that use of cash. And so, in that budgeting process, sales and marketing, ops, and finance should be talking about their rocks as either are like, are these going to be one-time investments, one-time expenses, or are they going to be ongoing? Because that will then impact the normalized EBITDA. And you can have a you can burn you can like literally make all those investments and reduce your net income, but your normalized EBITDA might grow. Right. So you're focused and, uh, on the right one, right? <laughs> like, well, why are we focused on, I mean, the, sure, play the tax game. Don't pay as, you know, pay as little as taxes as you can, but don't sacrifice the long-term. And here's the final point to this, Steve. It's actually a, a common uh, shared connection of ours. And before we were working with them, like, yeah, we uh, bought a building and put like 4 million bucks into it because, of, you know, we had a huge tax bill. And then in like May the next year, they almost ran out of payroll. Money for payroll because they well it's good God forbid we save some money on taxes but we need to we need to keep everybody employed in you know six months and there was because they were playing the net income game, not the normalized EBITDA game. So like I'd say first does that address your normalized EBITDA question? Yeah, I don't right. know. The well,
1: a- Point is there are multiple variables, but it's it's changing your your the context of your thinking around one to the other. That that mm-hmm. to me is is the the step change in, in, in the value of understanding the, sort of the heart, our corner methodology and the, the notion of, of, of linking these, these financials in the annual planning process mm-hmm. so to come back and bite you later. I
0: mean, well, and, and, and we're just still talking about the income statement. So, and we won't, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up in like 10, 15 minutes here for the listeners is, uh, just to kind of tie it together where, and again, I'm promoting that you don't, like, the people listening in, you don't have to know how to mathematically tie all the stuff together. You just have to understand how to think differently, like Steve just mentioned. So, you know, Steve, what, what I love about the three financial statements and specifically the income statement and the uh, EOS traction model, we have three three main functions underneath the integrator, right? We've got sales and marketing, operations, and then SG&A and finance and overhead. So. Yeah. The way that you should budget to actually get this all done mathematically correct to get the visibility of the, because the whole goal is we want to project out and see the normalized EBITDA and the valuation into the future. Like that's absolutely possible if we're doing what we're talking about, but sales, all budgeting has to start with sales. So it's like, Steve, if you were, if I was working for you and I was running your sales department, you're going, Ryan, what are you going to sell next year? right? we have to start there because we have to build the cost structure based on what we're going to sell. So you go line by line by line in the general ledger, like in the products and services have to be broken out based on what someone sells. Because for us, yeah. like our our Kona boot camps, the online academy, our dashboard services, and our CFO services all have different margins and cash flow attributes. So if I don't break those out, I don't have any visibility into analytics into the future. Yeah. So we go line by line by line, and then. We go month by month by month of, and it has to start with sales and marketing saying, what do you think you're going to sell in each month with a 50, 50 chance of hitting it? Because and we can talk, you and I have some shared stories about people that overdid their budget or undershot it. It Either you're firing people or you can't actually recognize the sales either way. It's not good. So you want that 50, 50 chance, but it's in the month that you're hitting it because If the goal is that you and I wanted to determine whether we should hire a $200,000 president in June, you and I need to know, can we still make our $8,300 distribution, pay our taxes and have the 18 grand to hire the president in the middle of the year? Well, we need to know actual cash, not our income statement, that income, but we need to know actual cash. And so what happens is you take your revenue line by line by line month by month by month with a 50 50 chance of hitting it from the ground up. You have to do that. Otherwise, you know, like you said, the divide by 12, if you're seasonal, like you might not have any cash in June. And so you made a bad bet because you were lazy, right?
1: I mean, I don't know how many times that, you know, going through our peer group, we talk about economic cycles and how people are doing and, and, you know, there are, good months, bad months, there are good seasons, bad seasons. And, and for whatever reason, I, I'm not confident that they all are fully factored into the budgeting process. And and, and that's where surprises occur. But I, it occurs to me, and, and I, this is more of a challenge for you than a question, but I know that our members and I could better serve our members. If we were better at asking questions to, to challenge assumptions or to smoke out, you know assumptions. Mm-hmm. So the CEO doesn't have to be as financially literate as all. the CFO, but they sure better know it enough to ask the right questions in the right way to smoke out or to confirm assumptions. Hundred
0: percent. If, 100%. There's, something
1: you, if you, there's something you can do in that vein that you know, you can make available to our members to your audience, uh, I think it would make a world of difference because the ver- questions coming from a reliable source becomes confidence in how you engage. The director, say, mm-hmm. why you engage all your team members. Because sometimes yep. we just don't know how to frame the right questions. Say, it's in, you know, where the, the pain point is inside, but how to express it is
0: yep. understood so i a couple comments and then I'll, I'll finish kind of the, the three functional areas out, part of the budgeting but i think to steve your point uh the the starter kit that we have where i've got that case study where i'm actually and for all the listeners then there's won't be any commercial because this will just be a go go check out the starter kit and for any of the ceo nexus members they already have access to this but i show how to budget and project i use that case study and honestly steve my opinion on this stuff is very similar to healthcare, where like, if people aren't careful, they're going to go get a back fuse, even though they don't need a back because the doctor makes 50K every single time they fuse it back. And like, they could go get a new shoulder and be like, no one's saying, Hey, Steve, how you feeling? You sleeping good? How, you know, like the, our healthcare system totally sucks. So like, you have to know enough about your body to not accidentally get a fake hip or knee when you don't need one. And yeah. it's the same thing here. We can't, you can't outsource the loose understanding of your goal and how this works. And so like, I will give everybody here, like I was a copier sales rep and I got a D in accounting. So if I'm capable of doing this, like, I think everybody has, can, if the why is there and how to think about it, I think that's it. And so like, let's, let's keep going with this, Steve. Cause I think line by line by line. And if we're taking the three functional areas of the, of EOS sales and marketing ops and finance. So let's say I was your salesperson and we went line by line by line, month by month by month. 50-50 chance of what we thought we were we were gonna do. Then what we do is go to the next functional area in the US, the ops and service, and say whether you're in professional services, your manufacturer, e-commerce, it's the operations, the cost of goods. Cost of goods correlates with ops, right? And in, in the US. So cost of goods is what then results in gross profit. So the operations manager should be the KPI should be the gross profit, right? That are per line per month
1: instead of siloed like,
0: yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, like, they're not going to make up their cost of goods without the salesperson's input. Unless we sell shit, we don't have any cost of goods. So like if we have the sales, you know, month by month by month, and then we go to the service department and say, you now have to hit these gross profit numbers because we, we feel like we got the 50 50 chance answer. Correct. So then operations goes line by line by line. And says, what do we actually, can we deliver these products and services at the margins that we need? So let's say, and my story about that, Steve, is my old service manager, oh, Pat Simnissi, God bless us, so I love him to death. And uh, he's like, hey, we want every technician to go to Canon in New York to get certified on the new Canon line. I'm like, Steve, it's going to cost us like $200,000 and like we're going to have technicians out of the field for like two years. I'm like, no, <laughs> but like. But then we, you know, the no, the no actually had validation behind, like, we can't hit our margins if we're yeah. doing that. And he said, well, what if we send Jim and Brad there, get certified to train the trainer? And then we had a monthly train the trainer and it worked. And yeah. it was like 10 grand.
1: So you break down the siloed thinking and you show how they're interdependent and yep. Then yep. It, it makes a difference.
0: So, so then, then that's oh, go
1: back to my, to my original point was we focus on the self-awareness of the CEO, the the, the alignment and the trust-based uh, relationship of the leadership team and then the culture that can scale. And if those silos of sales, finance, and operations aren't healthy and communicating and willing to horse trade, things break down.
0: 100%. And so, like, let's say... and and. Um, looking at the time here, I just want to make sure that because we're not getting too technical, this is all in the starter kit in the case study for anybody listening in or the academy for uh, CEO Nexus members. But let's say we got sales and we got that confident and we feel feel good about that service or ops, we feel good about that. Then we go to SGNA overhead, finance, whatever opex, whatever you want to call it. It's usually the CFO that's running it if they have someone, or it's the owner, or in or it's a controller and the owner thinks that the you know like it, again, it all breaks down depending on the level of the in. Uh, talent there, but finance's role is to oversee SGNA opex overhead to make sure that then the net income is right. Right. So then they have to say, well, how many staples and all? I mean, essentially with it with SGNA and overhead, you could most likely take and do some assumptions. Cause like it, Steve, out of the hundreds of companies I've worked with in the financials, it's 10. It's 10 lines. And even with people with thousands of GL structures, it's 10 lines that make a difference. Everything else, you could do the add 5%. But if you're going to buy a building, if you're going to do all these huge investments or whatever it is that are in OPEX, this is where like, it, it's a use of cash. So like, hey, you know, Steve, you and I, we want to launch a new website for hundred grand next year. Okay, where we're going to use the cash. Can Ryan, and for the, then the question is, can Ryan and Steve still make their distributions if we do that? Right. Yes, we can. Can we still pay our taxes? Yes, we can. Do we still have enough cash? Yes, we do. So we're going to do the $100,000 investment into a website. And the CFO approves it because we still hit the margins and we still have the sales. And we can't get visibility if we don't have the sales and the margin visibility. But that hundred grand is an ad back. So we actually are forecasting the investment, but we're forecasting out the normalized EBITDA. So then that CFO or that finance function should be building out that overhead and SG&A and getting down to that normalized EBITDA. So literally the three functions: sales and marketing, ops, and finance. It starts that way too. You get the sales, ops, and then finance, and then you have your normalized EBITDA. And Steve and Ryan still need to hit our distributions. And like so, if we go through that, then. I think that the confidence is like these rocks that we're picking have context, right? They make sense. And if they, and if like, if you, if you don't need a new website, don't do that, right? Take the money home. I'd rather have it 150, wouldn't you? (laughs) Well, so
1: so what the initial appeal as we talked years ago about sort of how you bring clarity to the financial uh, uh, fabric of your company. It's the financial framework that traction operates as the operational framework. Traction doesn't get into this granularity, but if you add Arcona or something like that, that that brings us discipline of thinking and communication, suddenly the the, the traction functionality is enhanced because you brought Mm -hmm. discipline and accountability. I mean, all the same principles of traction exist through Arcona.
0: And that's 100%. Why I, like, okay. and, and this is where when you and I, yeah, 100%. When you and I started talking years ago, it's like, we're not an operating system. Intentional growth of five principles is the mindset that clarifies people's goals and helps them understand what they should be working on. If you think about just at the literal definition of an operating system, it's like your computer. If you don't sit down in front of your computer and type anything, your operating system just sits there. If you go on there and and do stupid things, download bad apps and crash a computer, your operating system didn't protect you from doing the wrong things. It just enhances what you're doing. Right. So like you have to know what the hell you want and why and where you're going in order to use an operating system correctly. Right. I mean, otherwise you're just kind of just hoping that it just works. So Steve, this has been so fun because again, like I said, every time I talk to you, I think I'm talking to like a massive amount of people behind you that are just inciting the the conversations. Um, maybe why don't you give us a little bit of a overview of like why a peer group? You already mentioned it a little bit, but why don't you just give us uh, again, when you see the power that a peer group can do for someone and then where can people get in touch with you?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's S- simple destination would be CEONexus.com, That that's n e x u s dot com. And there's a whole uh, listing of information about what we do, why we do it, who we do it for, and what might be of interest to you. Uh, but, but from a from a, a service standpoint, I mean, we 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 think every C- CEO CEO, every you know, senior decision maker and leadership team should be in a peer group. We believe that ours is uniquely suited for second stage. And to that extent, if you're interested, we have in-person, on-site, full network throughout Florida, growing network in Minnesota, and then we have virtual options. So you could be most anywhere and we would have a means of serving you. But it, it really gives you that place, as I mentioned earlier, for context and clarity about tough decisions. And I think that initial phrase that resonated, better decisions, faster and with greater confidence... You're the expert in your business. We're expert on process uniquely tied to second stage. And if you see the benefit of having an objective set of eyes and ears, listening, providing guidance and accountability, um, you know reach out to us. We're glad to glad to help because you're you're why we're in business, and it goes back to Ed is you know Ed believed in you. you're the the driver of our free enterprise system, mm-hmm. uh, just a little sidebar data point. Uh, we had a whole data set tied to our work with the Edward Lowe Foundation based on 18 years of D and B uh, records. And it, it's amazing how second stage growth companies create more net new sustainable jobs across most time spans, most geographies, because they're the engine for growth. Big companies will add and shed jobs and change one, two percent at most over the years. Small companies will have lots of churn, creation, uh, uh, you know, births and deaths of businesses. Second stage is a particularly enduring stage. And it's just you don't know it. You're operating in isolation, but you, as a cohort across the stage, uh, make a huge difference, net difference in our economy. And we're created to serve you. So if 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 you see,
0: the backbone you know, of America, it really yeah, is. Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: I, that was Ed's belief, and I'm glad to carry that message.
0: Yeah, it was not like the jobs report where I think they said there was a positive jobs report, but actually if you dig into it, it was actually a bunch of, bunch of government jobs in the private sector lost. <laughs> like that's not adding productive jobs.
1: <laughs> you can play with the numbers. Our, our, we, uh, the work we did was through the foundation. It was net new. I mean, the, the lift was about 12 to 13% of businesses in most geographies are second stage. Uh, and they generated... Thirty to thirty-five percent of the net new sustainable jobs—they wow. so were disproportionately productive—and that'll happen without us. But if we can make that path easier, straighter, faster, you know, we're glad to do it.
0: And uh, I'll put the cherry on top—that is also like when I put up the U.S. Census Bureau, Steve, when we're doing our spiel together, and like I want to help grow the value of those so that they can actually make assets that are worth it, and they can facilitate yeah. the transitions. See, this has been a blast. I'm so happy you're able to come on and make it work. All right, well, thank you. Appreciate the time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Steve. If there's one takeaway, my suggestion is go check out the Starter Kit. Create your account. It's free. There's an intro video about what intentional growth is. There's an intro video on each of the five principles. But specifically, there are five videos that I have where I show using a case study and the financials, how to set up budgeting, the three-statement budgeting, and how to tie that budget to your target equity valuation so you can see your multiple, your normalized EBITDA, your distributions, your net proceeds, and you can reverse engineer so you can literally see in the next 12 months, how do I make sure that I'm on track to get the distributions and to achieve my valuation? go check out the starter kit, create an account, and then go look at the videos in the case study. And then there's a financial assessment where you can score yourself on each of the areas of the finance function so you can see what you need to do in order to make sure that you're rolling into planning season, doing what makes sense for you and your company. Thanks so much for tuning in. I greatly appreciate all the support and I will see you next week.